Into the Garden podcast, the dawn and break of a new day, a new beginning, a turning point, a new importance, a new possibility to say, oh taste and say how good and how gracious the Lord has been to you and to me. We welcome the break of newness, of freshness, the breakthrough, the breakthrough, the splendour of fragrance, that aroma that speaks and gives off an anointing sweet essence, you say. A sweet is the promise that God will never leave nor forsake thee. Join me on into the garden. Well, hello there. On top of the day to you, we opted for some good mood coffee jazz. And we hope that it will inspire you. Gosh, we made it through another day, another minute, another hour, another month, and pretty soon another year. So feel welcome, pop on in, and we're so glad you're here. Hola, buenas tardes, como esta? Neomar, jen dobre, bueno, chunata, gooden tag. Jozan. Somebody come, merba, anyong hashyong, buenan, neitor. And not forgetting you out there in the picturesque countryside where God says, Saxy soul, you got a lot. So join me, your host, Salome Jacobs, on a rather wet, windy, chilly day as we welcome the rain. Showers of blessings, indeed, coming our way. Today we have Elder Angela Morris from Orlando, Florida, sharing drawing on the grace of God now. So without any further ado, grab a piping hot cuppa or two and hear what lies ahead of you as Elder Angela Morris shares a word laid upon her heart from the God that we serve. Well, this is Saxy Soul, friend of God, so gather round as God imparts in the garden of tranquility. in the garden of prosperity and the garden where he died for you and me. And the garden where he rose on the third day Set you and me free. Sassy soul, friend of God. Welcome. 
Microsoft at home in the company of Enzo the Garden. Into the Garden podcast. I'm delighted to be here with you today. And today I'm going to share with you from My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. And today's um, message I'd like to share is drawing on the grace of God now. Let me say that again. Drawing on the grace of God now. If you don't know, grace is the overflowing favor of God. The overflowing favor of God. Let's start with 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What I want you to understand is the grace you had yesterday will not be for, for sufficient for today. I wonder why. The grace you had yesterday will not be sufficient for today. You know, because grace, I said earlier, is the overflowing favor of God and you can always count on it being available to draw upon as needed. Then in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. That is where our patience is tested. Are you failing to rely on the grace of God there? Are you saying to yourself, oh, well, I won't count this time. It is not a question of praying and asking God to help you. It is taking the grace of God now. We tend to make prayer the preparation for our service, yet it is never that in the Bible. Prayer is the practice of drawing on the grace of God. Don't say, I will endure this until I can get away and pray. No, 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 no. Pray right now. Pray now. Draw on the grace of God in your moment of need. Let me say that again. Draw on the grace of God in your moment of need. Prayer is the most normal and useful thing there is. It's not simply a reflex action of your devotion to God. We are very slow to learn to draw on God's grace through prayer. And so God wants us to draw on his grace right now, 2 Corinthians 6, 5 says, In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. Hallelujah. In all these things, display in your life a drawing on the grace of God, which will show evidence to yourself and to others that you 
are a miracle of his. Draw on his grace now, not later. Now, the primary word that I want you to, 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 to get here in the spiritual vocabulary is now. Let circumstances take you where they will, but keep drawing on the grace of God in whatever condition you may find yourself. One of the greatest proofs that you are drawing on the grace of God is that you can be totally humiliated. Just imagine that. You can be totally humiliated before others without displaying even the slightest trace of anything but God's grace. Hallelujah. Then there's 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. And it reads, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing all. Hallelujah. And as I was sitting and I was reading this, what came to my mind was the scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. And, and where the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. That has been playing over and over in my head uh, for the last three days. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God's grace is sufficient. And this verse just simply reaffirms that God's grace is big enough to cover every area of our lives. Many times it's easy to want to do what we call compartmentalized section of our lives from God. But God's grace covers, guess what? God's grace covers the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hallelujah. God's grace fills in the gaps where we fall short and make mistakes. That's great news. Today, I invite you. To allow God's grace to be sufficient and cover all areas in your life. God is not concerned with perfection, but for us to grow each day depending on him more and more and more. You see, God's grace shines brightest in the broken places of our lives. Oh, let me say that again. God's grace shines brightest and the broken places of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Above all, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, God, that grace shines brightest in the broken places of our lives. We can give it all to you right now. We don't have to wait and run and hide, but we can draw on your grace right now. In the name of Jesus, God, I thank you and I praise you for your undeserved favor. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. My goodness, it's such a, just a privilege and an honor and a blessing to be here with all of you this morning. Uh, I got to tell you, this is uh, quite literally a surreal experience 
for me. Uh, I am an only child and I did not grow up in a church going Christian home. And so on Sunday mornings, I would just kind of wake up and I would go make a bowl of cereal and I would go sit in front of the television and watch cartoons. Uh, and as I would flip through the channels, I would inevitably week after week come across this program where there was this, this guy, uh, he had these like big glasses on and he was wearing this like ornate robe. And uh, I didn't quite understand what he was saying, but the way he said it was just so soothing and so comforting that I would just sit there and watch uh, as, as a child. And so to be here at, at Shepherd Grove and also to be a part of uh, Hour of Power, a program that uh, has literally been blessing me and shaping me since childhood is an honor. And I just wanted to encourage all of you to keep sowing and keep investing because your ministry is really the reason why I'm here today. I mean, it's full circle. So can we just give God praise for, for his power? He's so good. He's so good. Um, I certainly, I, I bring you greetings on behalf of our church, Open Door Ministries. I greet everyone who's watching us online or at home, wherever you may be. Um, even though I am here alone, I do have my family in my heart. So I wanted to take a minute to just introduce you to them. Uh, this, is, this is my crew. This is my squad. Uh, my husband and I have been married for 17 years. I got married one month out of college. People thought I was either crazy or pregnant, um, and I was neither. Uh, but uh, 17 years of marriage. My oldest son, Timothy, is standing next to me in this photo. My youngest son, Isaac, is standing next to my husband. My, uh, Isaac is eight, Timothy is 11, and they both feel like they're my father. So they tell me what to do all the time. But, but this is my family, and I just love them, and I wanted you to get an opportunity to, to meet them before I jump into the Word. So um, anybody excited about the Word? I'm always excited to hear what God has to say. And so I'm going to just jump right into this message. Uh, I need you to know, though, that this message is actually two years in the making. Um, God gave me the revelation I'm going to share with you today back in 2019. And I had been meditating on it and thinking on it for the last couple of years. And when I was uh, invited to speak here, I said, well, Lord, you know, what would you have me to share? Um, and he took me back to this text. And so we're going to jump into it. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning at verse 19, the Bible says that not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So in other words, uh, the Philistines, uh, they handicapped Israel. They made sure they didn't have any blacksmiths because they didn't want them to make weapons. And so all of Israel had to go down to the Philistines to essentially have their farming tools sharpened because they didn't have any weapons. So on the day of the battle, there was a battle between Israel and the Philistines. On the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. Going into chapter 14, the Bible says in verse 1, one day Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him, were about 600 men. So to set the stage, to give you an understanding of the scene, so Saul 
is maxing and relaxing. He's chilling under a pomegranate tree. It's shade. It's comfortable. He probably has uh, whatever the uh, Israelite version of uh, mojito would be. Uh, he's just sipping on it. He's cool. He's got 600 men with him. But when we skip down to verse 6, we see something interesting. Jonathan turns to his young armor bearer and he says, hey, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Notice this. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. The word of God is so rich. There are so many layers to it. I love reading scripture because no matter how often I read a passage of scripture, every time I read it, it feels like there's another layer to it. And there are so many layers to this text, but I don't have time to get into all of them. So I'm going to just draw your attention to three insights, just three insights that I want you to grab hold to. The first is this. So the text tells us that on the day of this battle, on the day of the battle, that uh, there were only about 600 soldiers with Saul. The reason why this matters is because if we go back to 1 Samuel uh, 13 and 5, we find out that the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with, I think it was 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore, all right? So the Philistines go to prepare to fight with thousands upon thousands of soldiers and weapons. Israel has 600 soldiers and no weapons. The second thing I need to draw your attention to is again, the reason why the Israelites didn't have weapons is because the Philistines handicapped them. The Philistines created the conditions where the Israelites didn't have weapons. But the third thing that I need to draw your attention to is this. Spoiler alert, the Israelites were victorious anyway. In the absence of soldiers, in the absence of weapons, they were victorious anyway. And the Bible even tells us that after Jonathan attacked that outpost, that a panic struck the Philistines, the whole army, and they became so confused that they began to kill each other and retreat. Now, at this point, I need to give you a little bit of a caveat. See, I, I'm a Bible teacher, but I'm also a preacher, if you haven't figured that out yet. I get really excited about the Word of God. And so as I dig into this text more, I might get so excited that I jump off this stage and take off running. And if I do that, you all need to follow me. This whole section here, you just have to get up and just run with me, all right? That's what, see, thumbs up. That's what I'm talking about, thumbs up. I give you this caveat because this text, it, it excites me so much because what it's telling us is that Jonathan had so much faith that in the absence of an army and in the absence of weapons, he still said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He advanced in the absence of the resources that it should take to be victorious. And because he was faithful to what God said, 
God proved himself to be powerful that day. What does this have to do with you? When I was praying about this message, the Lord told me to encourage you. I realized that we all look so good. Everyone looks so good. We've got, you know, our, our, our makeup on, we've got our suits and we've got our nice shoes on and we're smiling and, and we all look so good. But what I've come to discover is that if I was able to sit down with every single one of you, I bet that you're fighting a private battle that we don't know anything about. And some of you in this room, some of you even watching online or uh, through the program, you, you're facing what feels like an insurmountable battle. You're facing what feels like an insurmountable adversary. But God sent me here today to encourage you to know this, that even when the Philistines thought that they had created the conditions that would assure them of Israel's defeat, God was still victorious through them, which is why the subject I want to speak to you from today is simply this. Give them your weapons. Give them your weapons. Whoever it is and whatever it is that is coming against you that you feel like you cannot defeat, give them whatever weapons you have at your disposal because you are not fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. It's already been assured. I need to give you a little bit of a window into my personal life so you understand that what I'm speaking about is not something that's abstract to me. This is something I've lived. I've been very blessed in my career. The Lord has allowed me to achieve a pretty steady trajectory of promotions and increase. But there was one particular situation that happened that left me utterly confused and feeling helpless. So I had been recruited to a new company. And uh, the hiring manager, she was a woman who was considered a rising star at the company. She had the confidence and the respect of the highest levels of leadership at the company. Uh, and when I joined the team, she was initially so uh, supportive and enthusiastic of me. She was uh, constantly celebrating me and cheering me on. But uh, as I began to do my work, I started to build my own reputation outside of her for being a strong performer. I started to get invited to meetings that she wasn't invited to. I started to get to be asked to speak on behalf of her team. Uh, and eventually I noticed that her attitude and her behavior started to change toward me. Uh, it got so bad that uh, I got into my performance review with her one day and she said to me, she said, you know, uh, people are saying, that you're not really doing your job. People are saying that you're not really pulling your weight. And I was so shocked by it that I was like, well, who are these people? And for the longest time, she wouldn't tell me who they were, but finally she told me their names and, and I immediately just went to each of them and I was like, listen, you know, please give me a sense of what's going on and what your perspective is because this is what I was told. And every single one of them looked at me bewildered. They were like, I didn't say that. She said that to me about you. And it suddenly clicked. I was like, oh, so she's waging a smear campaign against me in order to undermine me. Listen, y'all, I got so angry. I was so incensed. I decided in that moment, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a case against her. 
I'm going to document everything that she did. I even went to colleagues and I was like, tell me about your bad experiences with her because I'm going to HR and I'm going to run this thing up the ladder and I'm going to get her fired. And in the middle of all that, heard the Lord say, stop. And I was like, stop. I was like, Lord, she, she's ruining my reputation. God said to me, if you think it's your reputation that's at stake, you don't know what's really at stake. You see, when we take on the identity of Christ, we are no longer our own. Which is why when we take on the identity of Christ, we have to remember that the battle is no longer ours because we are not fighting to protect our reputation. You see, I was so upset because it was hurting my pride. It was hurting my ego. What she was doing was hurting me, but I need you all to understand, God never fights to protect our pride. God fights to protect his glory. And so, I stood down and I said, all right, Lord, well, you told me to stop, so I'm going to stop. And while I was in my season of stillness, she continued to prosper. I mean, she got more staff. She got more money. It seemed like the leaders were giving her more promotion and more elevation. She continued to increase while I continued to suffer until a few months later, she got removed from leading the team and she got demoted. And she blamed me. She thought I was the reason. She thought I had something to do with it, not realizing that in fact, what I had planned to do, I surrendered at the foot of the cross. And because I surrendered it, I didn't have to fight that battle. Because you don't need weapons when you have God's protection. And that's what I came here to tell all of you today. A lot of us are fighting battles because we feel like all we have is all there is. All we have is the money in our bank account. And so if something come against the money in the bank account, then we have to fight against that. All we have is the job we have. And so if something comes against the job we have, we have to fight against that because that's all there is. We have to fight for the marriage because if our spouse walks in and gives us divorce papers, all we have is that thing. And so therefore we fight and we fight and we fight. And God is saying, Give them your weapons because I'm going before you, which brings me to all of you. Everyone in this room, everyone watching, we're all fighting battles. Maybe your situation is that your parent passed away unexpectedly without a will. And your, your brother and your sister, they're fighting against you to try to take all the money and take all the assets and, and you're trying to fight against them and, and God is saying, be still. Maybe your situation is that you've been working so hard to get promoted on your job, but your manager is just blocking you at every turn. They don't want to give you recognition. They don't want to give you anything. And you're fighting and you're fighting and God is saying, be still. You can give them your weapons. You don't have to strategize. You don't have to come up with plans and devices to try to undermine people and try to take by force what you believe to be yours. God is saying you don't need weapons when you have my protection. Which is why there's three things, three thoughts that I want to leave you with. 
The first is this, my brothers and sisters, realize we must stop confusing our resource and our source because our resource and our source are not the same thing. Think about it this way. If FedEx was to deliver a package to you, that driver is not the source of the package. They are the resource that the source used to get the package to you. Which is why when the resource is taken from you, you don't have to fight. All you have to do is contact the source. You see, the resource is what the source uses to deliver the blessing. And to give you a concrete example, if you experience a layoff, you have to realize that that job was simply the resource, but it was not the source of your financial security. If your best friend betrays you, you may feel like, oh my gosh, you know, she, she represented uh, my, my safety. She represented my security and now I don't have that anymore. She was simply a resource, but she was not the source. But when we confuse our resource and our source, we honestly believe that if I don't have an army and if I don't have weapons, then I can't go to the Philistine outpost because I'll lose. What made Jonathan so powerful and what made Jonathan unstoppable is that he knew who the source was. He didn't need an army. He didn't need weapons. He didn't even go to his dad and say, hey, dad, can I have like 50 soldiers? No, he went without even telling his father because his heavenly father had already granted the victory. And the question we have to ask ourselves today is are we allowing the lack of resource to distract our vision from the source? It doesn't matter what happens over here. The question is what's happening over here? Because my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so if the resource gets eliminated, that doesn't place me at a deficit. That just means I have to go back to the source and ask, what's the resource you're planning to use because this one isn't working? Don't confuse your resource and your source. The second thing I want you to understand, and this is a hard one, <laughs> is that faith is not faith if it makes sense. I'm going to say that again. Faith is not faith if it makes sense. If we have the map, if we have the blueprint, it doesn't require faith because we already have the answer. But God's kingdom operates on the currency of faith. And let me tell you what faith is. God gave me this revelation years ago and it has changed my entire understanding of faith. Many times we say we have faith because we trust God. But listen, y'all. God is God whether we trust him or not. The Bible even tells us that, you know, you believe that there is one God, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. So just because we believe in God does not mean we have faith. What separates faith is obedience. And so for us, faith is not us trusting God. Faith is when God is able to trust us when he speaks something to us that we don't understand, but we still obey. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. When God told Noah to build the ark, 
He gave him the specifications. Like he told him the materials and he told him the measurements. But the thing that we often miss is the most profound thing. Noah didn't know what an ark was. God told him to build something that he had never seen. And all he did is he said, make it out of this type of wood and make it to this specification and you're going to make an ark. And to make matters even worse, God told Noah to build a watercraft on dry land. That is what faith is. Faith says, you know what? I see that the Philistines have so many soldiers that you can't even see the ground because they're so vast. I see that the Philistines have 6,000 chariots and they have more swords and spears and weapons than we could imagine. I see all of that. But God said to advance. And so I'm going to trust God because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. That takes faith. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in Mark chapter 9. There is a father who came to the 12 disciples and, and he said to them, he said, listen, my son, my son has been vexed with this evil spirit. Will you please heal him? And the disciples tried unsuccessfully, but uh, the, the man turns to Jesus in verse 22 and he says this. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus turned to that man and he said, I'm going to kind of uh, editorialize a little bit, but Jesus turned to him and he was like, if, if I can do anything, do you not know all things are possible for one who believes? Believing unto faith prompts action. But faith is not faith if it makes sense. So whatever you may be facing in your life, that it's not adding up. You're fighting with all of your might and you're doing everything that you can and it just seems like it's not working out. The thing I need you to understand is that in the kingdom of God, when things seem to be falling apart, they're often just falling into place. In the kingdom of God, the less it makes sense, the more it makes for victory. In the kingdom of God, what you see is not all there is. What you see is simply a symptom. Imagine a glacier. A lot of times you, you see the little, little ice cap, you know, poking out of the water. And you're like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. See, the Titanic made that mistake. They were like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just a little bit of ice floating around. But what they didn't see is the humongous base that was just beneath the water. See, what's beneath the water is where God operates. But this also leads me to my last point. This is also another tough one. Because I said earlier, I said, God does not fight to protect our pride. He fights to protect his glory. But the thing we have to know is that God's glory requires our weakness. Ooh, that's hard. That's hard. Because many of us, we only want to do the things that we're assured of. We only want to do the things that we have expertise in. We only want to do the things that we're confident in. And God always calls us to situations and opportunities that cause us to doubt ourselves. Do you know why? Because it's when we doubt ourselves that we operate in faith. 
God's glory requires our weakness. And so when Jonathan charged into that Philistine outpost, what makes this story so powerful to me is that he knew he was weak, which is why he said nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Do you know what would have happened if Jonathan and Saul would have run into that outpost with thousands of soldiers and weapons and chariots? When that battle was won, they would have said, good job, us. But they couldn't say that because they were outnumbered and they were outgunned. Or to put it in their vernacular, outsworded and outspeared. There was nothing that they could do. Nothing. They had to place their faith in God. I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And he's telling them, he's saying, you know, there's, there's this battle that I've been having, this thorn in the flesh that I've been battling for so many years. And I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, please deliver me from this. Please take this from me. But God's response was this. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Other translations say my strength is made perfect in weakness. There are some of you in here today looking at me who probably say, I could never stand on a platform and, and, and teach the word of God. I could never do that. And God is saying, that's exactly what I'm calling you to do. And you know how I know it's you? Because the moment I said it, about 10 people looked away. <laughs> they were like, mm -mm. But God gets glory when we are at our weakest. Because that's when we have to place our full faith, our full hope, and our full trust in what he has said. You cannot give God glory for what you've done in your own power. We give God glory for what he accomplishes in his own power. And let me tell you how this story ends. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 22. I told you that there was a panic that struck the Philistine outpost and the rest of the army, they saw what was happening. They saw this battle that was going forward and they got so scared. And so they just began to kill each other and they started to retreat. And the Bible tells us in verse 22 that when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle, the Bible says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. God's glory requires our weakness. And I came here to encourage you because I don't know what you're going through. Like I said, we all, we come to church and we all look so good, like everything's just great in our lives. But then we leave the building and we get in our cars and some of us are driving home through blurred vision from tears. Some of us are getting home and we're checking voicemails that are filled with people yelling and screaming at us. Some of us are going on to jobs where, where we feel like we just can't get ahead and we're frustrated and we're overwhelmed and we're trying to fight back, but it feels like a losing battle. And God is saying to you today, give them your weapons. I got you. You don't have to go back and forth and try to fight and try to straighten things out. Give them your weapons because I, I got you. God doesn't need our weapons. He only needs our faith. He only needs our faith. He needs our belief 
and action. He needs our surrender. The question though is, are we willing to exercise faith? Are we willing to follow after what Jonathan said and truly believe that whether we have all resources or no resources, the source is still gonna protect us? Do we really believe? Because if we believe that, we are unstoppable. Do you know what Satan hates more than anything? Is a person who has faith in God. Because he can come at you, he can attack you through your family, through your friends, even through your spouse, through your job, through all types of situations, but you will not give up on God. And so the question that I wanna leave you with is simply this. What weapons are you fighting with that you need to surrender at the foot of the cross so that God's power can work through your vulnerability? What weapons do you need to surrender at the foot of the cross so that God can be victorious through your situation? God does not fight to protect our pride. He fights to protect his glory. But his glory requires surrender. And so I want to pray for everyone in here and everyone who's watching because I believe that there are some things that you are facing that you don't have the energy or the power in yourself to defeat. But you don't need energy and you don't need power, you need faith. Father God, I pray right now, Lord, that for everyone who's listening under the sound of my voice, that they would be encouraged to know that no matter what battle they may be facing, no matter how, uh, how, how uh, overwhelming their adversary may seem, God, that you are omnipotent. You have all the power and Lord, you fight on our behalf. I pray, God, that you will encourage us, God. Fill us with courage. Inspire us, God. Fill us with hope so that we can place our faith in you and act on what we believe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Well, we have come to the end of Sassy Soul, Friend of God. May God bring you and lead you to that place to find someone whom you can trust to reach out to, to open up and enwrap you, to let you know that your life, it does matter, that whatever happened is not because of you, but because perhaps of the situation the environment you find yourself in and that God will send in the right people to assist you. You see, that's the God we serve. When we lay our weapons down, that's the time that God fights for you. So, before we love and leave you, a heartfelt thanks to Elder Angela Morris. sharing with you drawing on the grace of God now so may God's mercies his tender mercies 
be new every morning for you. But before we say goodbye, if there's anyone out there celebrating a birthday, an anniversary, or received news of good cheer, happy birthday to you, happy anniversary, and congratulations to you. Not forgetting those who perhaps have lost a loved one or two. It could be natural. It could be life-threatening. It could be through disaster. Our heartfelt and sincere condolences go out to you. Well, it's that time. It's our cue. When we say thank you, thank you for tuning in, thank you for sharing, but most of all, thank you for spreading the love. So from me, Salome Jacobs, the author of You Don't Know, the cast of my alabaster box and the mom with many hats signing off. Goodbye. Thank you. Shashine. Grazie. Hamsehau. Sayonara. Disvedinia. Adios. Tofisina. Ovar. Farvau. Adios. Guligule. Adia. Maislamatika. Vastila. Kontashian. Salamatengal. Avidisain. Arrivederci. Anion. Spasiba. Haver. Remember, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And this is a quote by Corey Ten Boom. Enjoy a well-deserved relaxation, rejuvenation weekend. Until the next time we meet. Made of